Welcome to the CoinGam Podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Charles. On this podcast, we attack the crypto asset and blockchain space from all angles, from the underlying technology to the economic impact. Every single episode, we try to look at the blockchain space from a new lens, and this episode was no different. But before we start this episode, I wanted to share a bit about our advisory services. We've built a huge network of blockchain professionals who can help you out with your projects, whether you want to launch an ICO or you're just looking to do some deeper research. We can put you in the right place. We have advisors, blockchain developers, and legal professionals. If you need help, just visit us at coingamma.com. Now, let's start the episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Coin Gamma Show. Um, we're happy to have an illustrious guest with us today. Um, even more important, because it's actually uh, my first uh, fellow CUNY alum that I've had on the uh, other podcast. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I have Gregory Rocco. I uh, likes to go by Rocco. Uh, Rocco leads strategy at Alpine, a consensus formation. Uh, previously, he was at the, on the token foundry team. He worked on and written about many token governance models for multiple clients. Rocco has experience in advising on both communications and technical strategy, but and also worked at startups like at Lumia and Augmate. He's previously written for many publications such as CCN, Bitcoinist, um, Token Daily, uh, Token Economy, and was an editor in chief for InvestFeed. Um, welcome to the podcast and show. Um, we we were used to be uh, audio only. Now we're also on YouTube, so I'm getting used to uh, using new terminology, but. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us this morning um, and, and, and sharing some of your, your, your background. Can you fill in on anything I might have missed? No, I think one of the, the big points is definitely a CUNY representation. You know, happy right. to be a CUNY alum here in New York. That's right. Uh, what what, uh, what CUNY did you go to for everybody that's listening? I went to uh, Hunter College and I actually just finished up at the Grad Center, but uh, keeping it uh, local. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. Um, for, for my listeners, I went to Brew College as a reminder. Um, my parents met at Hunter, so uh, when I met Greg, I told him about that. Or sorry, uh, Rocco, I met him. I told him about that, and uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, it's, we got it. You know, New York City is a hotbed for uh, crypto and blockchain, but the uh, CUNY representation is not as strong as it should be, right? So we gotta we gotta pump that out. So I'm happy uh, to connect with you. Um, my alma mater, Brew College, has been doing a lot of stuff around blockchain. And uh, I'm sure Hunter College is also doing it as well, as well as the Grad Center. So uh, we just got to keep the movement going. Yeah, I actually um, recently gave a workshop at the Grad Center. So hopefully they spread the message to CUNY a bit further. I know Baruch is pretty involved with blockchain, but um, some of the CUNYs definitely need to step their game up. And maybe I'll, I'll reach out so I can do there. No, I love it. I love it. Hey, it's all, all one family. So Hunter alums are welcome at Baruch to kind of participate. Hunter students are welcome at Baruch. So uh, it's all one family. Awesome. Well, you know, you you have a pretty cool background. Uh, you know, worked at Consensus. You were a writer. Like, how did like how did you discover crypto? Like, what was your path to get into this space? So for me, uh, I have a background, weirdly enough, in like modernist literature and media. Okay. Uh, so communications is always a big thing. You know, taking stuff and communicating at a high level. One hundred percent. And originally, um, you know, bought. I, I, I kind of read up on things back in 2013, but didn't really kind of jump into the pool until maybe 2016, 2017. Uh, Before that, I was actually working in media, but it was uh, through actually a Craigslist ad. I was curious. I started reading more 2016, 2017, started diving even deeper. 
And uh, that's when I first started working with the Vespi at the time. And that's where it all kind of started from. So it was kind of gradual and then jumped in the pool and kind of been in ever since. So it's been a fun ride. But InvestFeed obviously is around investing, but it's not focused on crypto. It's focused on the more traditional asset classes. Well, they were, uh, they were originally um, traditional and then they moved over to crypto. Okay. Okay. Joined them during their transition. Oh, excellent. 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 So you have a, you have a strong writing background and given that there's a very communications focused industry, white papers kind of are what set the tone for projects. Um, even though we could, it's arguable that not too many investors have read white papers, but um, you know, it's, 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 it's awesome that you have that skill set to kind of help people articulate their visions. Yeah, man. And especially with white papers, it's a very tricky topic because you know, white, white papers should be very synced, like only a couple pages getting to the point technical enough to really express the point, but not, you know, overtly technical, not overtly long, because then it becomes ridiculous. And like, in 2017, 2018, you saw like, white papers hitting like 60 to 70 pages, right, where, they, right. where they kind of became small books, right? People like, didn't even want to read them anymore. Like you're saying, like, it just it became ridiculous at a certain point. Yeah, I'm sure you had that. I'm sure during that time, you probably got a lot of offers um, to write white papers for people. Yeah, at the time I did receive many offers yeah. just because people always needed like white paper writers and uh, seeing those uh, those actual jobs float around, it became, it, it, you know, seeing it, it was how ridiculous it was, it was firsthand. Like those right. 60, 70 pages, like, oh, we need right. to hit this target. Right. Even though it really should have been about actually explaining your product or project well. 100%, 100%. Now, how did you kind of move over from InvestFeed into uh, Consensus? I know you had some stops between that. Yeah, so between that, um, you know, I started expanding the amount of publications I wrote for. So it was Bitcoinist, CCN. I started writing on my Medium blog, started kind of getting my thoughts down on paper, which which is pretty good. Uh, built up a bit of a social presence. Then I started working with companies like contracting uh, on the communication side and on the, um, it, I started doing a lot more research into incentive design and okay. eventually started going down that path. Sure. And, um, I left InvestFeed in January 2018. Um, then I started work, working with a company called Augmate. Who okay. is actually, um, they, I'm still actually working with them to a degree. They did a uh, security through Securitize. Sure. Um, and yeah, so seeing that entire process and getting an opening to that entire world was really fascinating. Right. Um, and then I had a friend over at Token Foundry who was on the incentive, incentive design team who kind of brought me in. Awesome. Um, from there, that's kind of where uh, the work, work at Consensus started. So it's been really awesome. good. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, obviously you can't, you, you join consensus during a time where, you know, during your time there has been kind of a transition, kind of a bit of a contraction and things of that sort. Um, you know, not to get any too, too much in detail, but what, uh, how was that? How was kind of like the, the, the transition there? No, it's all, it's all looking very good. I think uh, the consensus 2.0 vision um, is out. Oh, there were a lot of news stories on it. So it's all very positive. It's all kind of good changes that are going on on that end. Right, right. It brings a lot of focus. Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Awesome. So, I mean, so Al, so you were a token founder, and now you're with Alpine. And so, tell us about Alpine. What does it do? What's its focus? So, Alpine is mostly focused on um, enterprise consulting. So, kind of product market fit, uh, multi-sided marketplaces, tokenization, and also whether or not you know blockchain is the right idea for these enterprises. Um, whether or not it could uh, increase efficiencies in some of their workflows, sure. uh, whether it can be applied to certain things or whether it even can't. They're even thinking about it in, in a bad context and we're the ones to say not to do it because it won't be efficient for them. Then, you know, it's, just, it's a success on our end. Sure, sure. Uh, those are the kind of things we work around that and productization. So if you need some kind of modularized solution in your business that needs to be built, um, 
part of what we do is working on that and also kind of some experiments on the side as well. Sure. Uh, so on Twitter, we had this TCR party thing, which has been a, uh, Sure, fun, sure, fun, yeah, fun yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, it was, uh, it's, it's kind of been all the way, uh, wave as of as of uh, this past couple of weeks. Um, there's even an article on it on Greendesk. Like, tell, tell, so what's TCR party? How does that work? Is is that, that's kind of like a that's something that, that's proprietary to your team that you created, not for clients, just for yourself. Yeah, this is go out and have fun. Yeah, ex- that's exactly it. So um, it was a bit of it started as a bit of a shower thought. Uh, okay. Token curated registries. So TCRs are like imagine if you had. Uh, instead of, you know, Princeton Review curating the top list of 100 colleges, you had like a bunch of trolls and token holders do it. Okay. Um, okay. There are a lot of economic assumptions. There are a lot of assumptions about how the list will be curated, whether, you know, you could actually curate an objective list with value. Sure. Um, but the two things we wanted to test with TCR Party, we wanted a um, kind of adversarial environment like Twitter or Bitcoiners, okay. Ethereum heads. Sure. all kind of get angry at each other and have this kind of rude discourse and it's great because right. you know, they're incentivized to like who's the best you'll get a different answer every time sure um and what tcr party does it it's curating a list of 100 counts so everyone's going to have a different you know a different opinion on who's like the best account to put on that list okay um, one yeah, bot what, what is like the top 100 counts in the crypto, in crypto yeah in, crypto, in, twitter? Like crypto twitter that's kind of okay. and okay. Uh, one bot retweets all the accounts that are on the list that have been added to the registry Okay. And the other bot actually abstracts everything blockchain related. So instead of you getting Ether, getting these tokens, uh, using MetaMask, signing on transactions, going to this random website, you're actually interfacing it through, tw- you know, through Twitter the entire time. You're not wow. going in there for it. You're, tell- you're interacting with the bot. The bot's handling nominations, challenges, voting, uh, giving you tokens, okay. whatever it is. It's handling and, all and the what is What is the token? Did you create your own token for this purpose? Yeah. So, so the token's actually on Rank B right now, the Ethereum, one of the ethereum test nets um okay. and when you sign up for it the bot sets up a multi-signature wallet with you so it can manage transactions on your behalf and sure. users are just granted tokens it's purely inflationary but okay. it's just for it's just for the experiment uh, in general well if it works out and you move it to mainnet what happens to the people that got it on testnet does it get convert so, or do they have to start over because they had fake kind of so, like the fake crypto yeah so we're thinking about that now and how we'd actually do a transition maybe it'll be like a seasonal thing like season one was this kind of testnet phase maybe right. there'll be rewards associated with being on the list during season one kind of sure. like competitive games where you kind of have those uh those insignias for what season season you played competitively sure sure, sure. Um, a mainnet launch is we're actually architecting it and thinking about it now maybe a sidechain implementation because obviously the one thing we want to make sure we do is not bring it too far, you know, off the reservation where we want users to still just be on Twitter and interact right. with it on Twitter, not worry about ether, not worry about wallets. So we're kind of working through, working through all the kinks now on that, um, sure. potentially to keep it scalable and also keep it extremely uh, cost effective if it is on mainnet, but also give the users the ability to actually transfer the tokens out. So we could not only test kind of these subjective TCRs and uh, using Twitter as a UX, but we could also test now economic assumptions. Because right. right now the tokens are untradeable, but when they are in a tradable environment, what happens now to the list? Is there an sure. incentive to now, you know, trade tokens and it will, will plutocracies form, whatever it is. Sure, um, sure. We'll to test those assumptions. But for now, it's just kind of a fun game on testnet to right. test uh, Twitter as a front end for everything and um, testing, you know, attention economy things like are people going to get bored of this and what features can we add to actually keep it interesting? Sure, sure. Now, one of the things, I mean, uh, obviously you're using the, the Twitter API to build this and Twitter API yeah. has, has an interesting background as far as like some people have, have built it in the past and they've been shut off and there's been scaling issues and stuff like that. So far, has it been all good or, or oh, have yeah. you got run into issues? 
we ran into some great issues when we first launched this thing. Okay. Um, and it's all good. It's all good for us because it's all kind of a learning experience. There wasn't right. much at stake other than, you know, parts yeah. of the experiment. When we started, there were two things. The first thing actually we launched on Robston, which was the Ethereum proof of work test net. And okay. three, three hours into launch, um, one of the largest miners on Robston just decided that they were done mining on Robston. So <laughs> we coming every 30 seconds to every 30 minutes. So we couldn't get any transactions. Oh, wow. Wow. So we're like, okay, we got to reset the entire. That's tough because like Twitter is so instant. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like everything's happening now. People started getting into it. It's like, okay, we got to reset the entire list now because we got to migrate smart contracts. We were able to migrate the wallets because we just set up new wallets with whoever was in that database. Sure. But we had to redeploy, which erased the entire TCR. Sure, um, sure. And then like you're saying with Twitter, an hour after we re redeployed on RinkB, we're like, all right, great. We're, re -up, you know, we're up and running. Twitter took away our write access. Oh for, my uh, goodness. So we couldn't even get the bot to tweet anything out or message anyone. Right. And it was because when people were being nominated or challenged, uh, tw the bot was tagging them. So Twitter was like, saw it as spam and they're like, don't do that. So two days yeah. later we got our API right access and now things have kind of been running smoothly. Sure. Did you have to speak to somebody on Twitter about that or just kind to, of. Yeah, we had to file the whole process and be like the appeal and everything. Right, right, right. Well, you know, it's, it was a learning experience. And, oh, completely. Um, and now that Jack is out here participating in similar things, uh, you know, I'm sure that he's, he, he, anything that comes up like that will go straight to the top. Um, what do you think about him? What do you think about some of the stuff he's been involved in? He's been, it seems like he's, he's been uh, really publicizing himself as a crypto proponent, a Bitcoin proponent, uh, Lightning Network proponent. It seemed like it overlapped a little bit with your project. What, did it steal some of your thunder or was it a good thing? Yeah, it was, it was a good thing. I mean, I love seeing Jack kind of being on the Bitcoin train. I know he's, he's been a Bitcoiner for a while. Sure. I know he's, he's invested in Lightning Labs. Sure. Um, he keynoted consensus. So he's been kind of on the ground. He's been right. following people in the space, following publications, keeping up to date. Someone was joking, like, they changed the, uh, the character limit to 280 so they could put Lightning invoices in Twitter. <laughs> That's, That's funny. It was, and he, he, he responded. He's been really fun about it. Right, Normally right. you see like tech CEOs that build successful products as these kind of like demigods. But Jack's here on the ground. Like he's talking to people. He's interacting. You know, people, he was joking around uh, when someone like asked him even about Tron. And he's like, I love that movie. <laughs> like, I thought <laughs> I that was great. That. I did see that. And, and obviously, you know, he has two roles. He's the main CEO of Square. Mm -hmm. um, you know, probably, you know, that's probably, I think it's number two in the app store right now. So like, uh, his put, you know, he he's he he, he could really put it uh, crypto in a lot of people's hands. So exactly, pretty awesome. That's a very powerful thing when you got that much, you know, power behind you as a payment processor. Sure, and he's it's like it's not a question of uh, if; it's a question of when. Talking sure. about Lightning integrations, and he's also got Cash App, so he's been exactly. definitely uh, definitely working on it. Exactly. Have people gotten confused between your project and that as of yet, or no? Oh, no, no. The, yeah, the Lightning Torch has been kind of just going on in the background with Bitcoiners. Our thing more, I guess, more appeals to the Ethereum community because it's kind of built on Ethereum. Uh, right. using Rank B is the back end. We're obviously, my team obviously has been thinking around Lightning experiments too. We're definitely uh, chain agnostic. Right, right. But, um, well, given, uh, you know, back to your time in, uh, you know, Alpine and, and, and what you're working on now, and obviously consensus being um, led by Joe Lubin, uh, you know, and it's all around Ethereum. Do you, when you consult your, your, your um, clients, is it only, is it still kind of, at least what I know, for, what I assume from the outside is that you have to, um, you only advise clients to use Ethereum-based solutions. Is that still the case? If it's the best solution to use. Okay. 
Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what about you personally? Do you, obviously you have some interest in lightning. You've, uh, you've worked with uh, Securitize as well in the past. So security tokens and things of that sort. Do you, do you believe in, in have you kind of, te- uh, you know, work with any of the other alternatives? Do you believe in any of them or, or is, are you our Ethereum maximalist? Oh, no, I, d- I definitely, um, I, I kind of, I feel like a Bitcoiner at heart. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I like treating everything else as a fun, I, I call them like Petri dishes. So if you sure. could test assumptions about whether it's fungibility, whether it's governance, whatever it is, in these small contained environments, and if they work in these small contained environments, you could potentially deploy them on larger chains, um, sure. which is why I won't discount any coin for what it's doing, because if you're not listening, you're not learning. Of uh, course. If you find something that doesn't work with one chain, why try it again when you could, you know, not, <laughs> and not right. screw the same thing up and not have, you know, not repeat history. Yeah, don't you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, you, exactly. You mentioned fungibility. Uh, I think I read that you are a fungibility maximalist. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, so, I, give us a, a few. Give us a, a short uh, description of what fungibility is, mm-hmm. and then explain why you're a maximalist in that so, domain. Fungibility deals with the interchangeability of goods. So, okay. good example: cash is fungible. I'll give you a $20 bill. You'll give me a 10, a five and five singles. We've all figured that's the same exact value. Of course. There's no difference in value whatsoever. That is pristine. You know, both are accepted, totally interchangeable. Sure. You lend me your Tesla model S and, uh, I destroy the thing. I crash it. I, sure. I, I threw the car up and I bring you a absolutely brand new model S. Okay. Two totally different things. Your model S and that new model S. Right. Even though right. they're the same car, they're not fungible. Sure, sure, sure. This, this, this topic comes up very often um, with cryptocurrencies. You know, Bitcoin, we thought was, you know, anonymous in the beginning. There is no address reuse, whatever it is. But, you know, you have companies like Chainalysis that are able to track the UTXOs, see where coins right. came from. Right. And let's say you had coins that pass through, you know, Silk Road. Those could be, you know, blacklisted. Right, right. And, you know, businesses in the future might see that and might not want to, you might be complicit for something you didn't do. Right. Um, even though you might have been passed at some point in time, coins that pass through the Silk Road and you weren't involved with Silk Road at all. Sure. You might not be able to transact with those coins because they passed through the Silk Road. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. very important thing with privacy to, you know, have that fungibility with cryptocurrency. Um, I'm sure. a big proponent of Monero simply okay. because of fungibility. It's sure. you know, privacy as, is a very important component. It's a very difficult thing to implement. No one has, there's no perfect privacy. There's no absolute privacy. Sure. Um, closer we get to why, why, uh, why Monero uh, over Zcash or anything else? So there's a couple things. I will, you know, obviously Zcash and ZK Snarks, it's superior technology, but there are a couple of factors that, you know, I, and don't get me wrong, I like Zcash. Sure. But the problems I have with it are more, you know, ide- ideology driven. So okay. the way the found, you know, there's a foundation, um, there was a trusted setup. So when Zcash, you know, sets up ZK, you know, the zero knowledge proofs, sure. there's a, um, you know, a multi-party setup where a couple of trusted actors have to set the entire thing up and there's computational waste that they have to destroy and you have to trust that they've destroyed it efficiently. Right. And once it's all set up, then it's up and running. Whereas something like Monero, there was no trusted setup. Um, the way, you know, ring confidential transactions, ring signatures and all the stuff they use for privacy works is there was never like a multi-party setup. There was never like a, that kind of thing. Sure. And the other side of it is also um, privacy by default. So as of okay. September, uh, God, I'm not sure if it was, I think it was 2017 or 2018. Um, Monero turned on uh, privacy as a, as a uh, default. default. Yeah. Sure. Whereas, you know, Zcash still has shielded and uh, transparent transactions. Um, so it's kind of like an ideology thing. Listen, I, I, I like the vision for both. Obviously, right. I have a private 
sure. uh, cryptocurrency. I don't think sound money can be sound unless it's fungible. Sure. Um, and, sure. Bitcoin's, it's, and it's tough with Bitcoin too, because Bitcoin's very conservative, obviously. And also if you, you know, introduce privacy to Bitcoin as, as a total, you know, engulfing thing, it becomes very difficult to audit supplies. Okay. So to audit that 21 million becomes even more difficult. But sure. obviously they're working on different. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tether. <laughs> Tether. Yeah. Tether yeah. is Tether is a whole. Yeah. Whole yeah. Different, but, uh, whole as, far as, as far as auditing. Uh, oh yeah. That's an example that people think about, but that makes sense. Yeah. So privacy, that's, that's why fungibility for me is a big thing because I don't think you could have sound money unless it's fungible because if it's trackable and it can be tracked back to you, even though you've had no, you know, you're not complicit in where it's been, um, sure. you know, can, can a store owner stop you if your cash has at one point passed through a money laundering operation or terrorist financing? No, because it's fungible. Right. Um, you weren't involved in that whatsoever. The cash might have hit 20 hands before it hit yours. Right. You know, so many degrees of separation. But in blockchain world where everything is traceable, um, it becomes a whole different story. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I, I think I read somewhere that you know every dollar has like so, has a, a certain trace of cocaine on it. <sighs> yeah. Right? Um, and you, now that things are becoming digital, you actually putting a, a bring a, a big point. People can actually just look into the blockchain and see when it did touch or when it was purchased, used to purchase cocaine or something like that. And you know, somebody that's looking to just buy a coffee has nothing to do with that, right? Um, so, no, that's super interesting. And yeah, you, I obviously understood some of the use cases for privacy. Um, but you articulated it and brought up some examples that are are even more real. Um, so yeah. no, all right, cool. We're definitely gonna check out Monero. Um, and, and there's definitely a couple other things like, and um, um, listen, that's the one thing I want to advocate for is kind of privacy for the right reasons. Sure, um, it's been a big thing because people think like, you know, why do you want a private cryptocurrency? Well, you want to do illegal stuff, and that's really not the case at all. It's first yeah. you want to be complicit when you know the money has touched something that you had no, absolutely nothing to do with. Of the course. other thing is you want to protect yourself. You don't want people knowing your net worth. You don't want to have to be fearful if you send someone a transaction and they're able to trace it back to your wallet. Right. Because um, right. then, because obviously these, these ledgers are transparent. They'll know exactly how much you have. Um, sure. If you accidentally send Bitcoin from your main wallet and someone sees that and someone sees, hey, he's, he's got this much. Like, that's, yeah. And that and even um, purchase retracking. So businesses that want to track you based on your purchasing habits, if something is truly private and, and fungible, they can't do that. Right, it's, right, you know, right. You, you can't be retargeted if you buy something with cash. Yeah, there's so many levels. I mean, you know, obviously we're seeing what's going on with Venezuela right now um, with their capital controls. Um, you can have something where people are, um, you know, even now sometimes like, you know, uh, in the U.S., people could audit who donated to certain politicians, right? And, you know, you may want that to be private, right? Exactly. Maybe maybe you change your political views, right? Um, so, and, 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 but people could always put it on you that you donated to XYZ candidate. Now that's awesome. Um, you're also a, a governance expert, right? So is, is fungibility something that you when, you, you, when you advise people on how they should govern their project, is that something that you make sure they put in? Or is governance focused on something completely different? I gotta say, you know, fungibility obviously becomes an element of um, kind of base chains, but in terms of smaller projects, not something I necessarily advise on. Um, and the one thing I'll say is that if anyone ever tells you that they have governance solved, Right. Then, they, then they are definitely full of it. Sure, uh, sure. No one, no one ever has governance solved. There are creative ways that you can, you know, think about governance. And uh, governance is a very important thing and should be thought about as a, as a means to upgrade protocols. Right. Um, but it's also extremely difficult. Right. Right. One of your governance, I just think centralization. 
automatically, right? Because obviously governance means there's a team of people that are always there that are, you know, like the central bank that are, you know, trying to add liquidity, remove liquidity, incentivize, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that the right, is that a, not the right way to look at it or? Yeah, I definitely, you know, I don't think it is the right way to look at it. And the reason being is um, you could have governance be something, you know, ungovernance is a form sure. of governance is what I say. Sure. Um, and it's, it's been said even before, you know, I, I've, I've followed that ideology for a little while where right. you take something like Bitcoin, right? The way Bitcoin's upgraded is, or the way changes are made in Bitcoin is, um, you know, something is uh, developed, tested, implemented into clients, and then full nodes choose whether or not they will actually want to upgrade those clients. Right. There's no formal structure. It's as a full node and someone validating transactions and as a miner and someone mining chains, do you want to go through with this upgrade? Totally up to you. No one's, there's no forced upgrade. There's no automatic upgrade. Um, you choose which flavor of the client you want to run as a full node and you choose sure. which chain you want to mine as a miner. Sure. Kind of this, it, it becomes a lot harder to reach social consensus. Okay. Because you got to get everyone who's running these full nodes and everyone who's mining to agree that this change is the best direction for this. Of course. There are also issues of like, you know, ideology about the chain. Do you not want to compromise on trustlessness? Do you want bigger blocks? So, you know, the one thing I like about ungovernance is if you don't like something, fork off. That's it. So yeah. like, um, and that's what Bitcoin Cash did is like, they don't like the block size. Great. Fork yeah. off and see yeah. if you can gather enough social consensus, uh, full nodes and miners to actually support your thesis. Um, and this kind of, it's, it's cacophonous. It's a bit of a mess. Um, but at the same time, it's what keeps like something like Bitcoin very resilient, very conservative, uh, might not upgrade as often, but it's what keeps it decentralized. Of course. That anyone who could run a full node is a participant in governance. Of course. Um, there are other systems that obviously have created like kind of, you know, direct, you know, there are direct democracy systems with token voting, for example, there's like liquid democracy where you're delegating. Um, that's, and then these are the centralization trade-offs for uh, efficiency, so to speak. Sure, sure. So if there's a certain direction a project knows where it wants to go, it might be easier to have delegation schemes. Um, you also have issues with like voter turnout, people who really don't want to participate. They just kind of want to speculate, whatever it is. Right. Might not want to do that. So delegation becomes a very easy thing. It centralizes it a little bit, but it makes it uh, more efficient, so to speak. Right, right, um, right, right. It's kind of like, how, how we have a House of Representatives, exactly. House of Representatives in Congress. Right? It, yeah. Well, we delegate, um, yeah, we delegate our voting power to them to make decisions on our behalf becomes, it becomes a lot easier when one person is on behalf of like hundreds of thousands. Um, sure, sure. Because there are so many people and getting everyone like a one vote, one person, one vote issue um, becomes like wide scale voter turnout problems, attention economy problems. It becomes, it becomes a bit messy. Um, but sure. governance is definitely going back to that Petri dish thing. Um, I think one of the more interesting things because you could have all these smaller blockchains test these different governance things and see what works and what doesn't. And if right. something works, then you could implement it on a larger chain or you know, if it's paid attention to, if there are certain mechanics that you could adopt, so to speak, but you're able to see them in these little controlled environments. Right, right, right. No, that's awesome. Now, what are, are there any projects? I mean, you mentioned obviously Bitcoin. Are there any other top projects that have pretty good governance models? So, or is it still fluid? So, the, so I do like the, the systems like ungovernance, so like Bitcoin. Um, okay. But in terms of projects that I like to take a look at in terms of, with governance, um, one, it, one that always comes to mind for me is Decred. Okay. Uh, Decred's Politeia system. So it's, um, it's an on-chain voting system. So you're voting with something that's asset related. So whereas like Bitcoin, you're, you're using your node to signal and what, so what software you're running. 
Right. Uh, Decred system is a little different. You're uh, staking Decred. You're working for the network. Okay. And in staking, validating transactions, you earn these uh, tickets. There's a ticket sure. market in Decred, and you use these sure. tickets to vote on issues in Politea. And right. what Decred has also adopted is a treasury. So projects have dealt with treasuries since the time of, uh, since Dash right. uh, first started with that. And the idea is like you're not just voting on consensus issues with Decred or, or bug issues or, or code issues. You're also voting on where a certain block reward is going. So ah. if you see someone who wants to develop, so that's a that's a big problem in ungoverned systems. Is like who's funding it? Right. So there are a lot of Bitcoin developers um, who deal with funding issues simply because it's a big labor of love for them. Of course. Um, and not a lot of companies have a lot of people just purely working on Bitcoin. Right. Where Decred's like, okay, you know, if we need developers and we need a core development team or something made, we can push it through Politea. And okay. if the community wants to vote on it, they can. And if they think it's something that's good enough, the funding goes to the person who's going to develop it. Right. Accountability becomes a huge issue because how do you make sure that someone is doing something in a yeah. centralized environment? But that's kind of that trade-off. So that person does have that funding to actually make that happen if they can. Of course, of course, of course. No, super interesting, super interesting. Awesome, man. Listen, I, you have such a wealth of knowledge, and, and I could probably keep you on here for another 30 minutes to another two hours. Um, so we may have to uh, schedule a, a part two. Um, but, you know, I have to let you go. I know how busy it is. We're, we're in the middle of the week. Um, but, uh, you know, how can, if you want to follow up with you, your projects, other projects that you're involved in, where should they go? Uh, I think for me, Twitter is probably the best option. Sure. Uh, sure. My handle's uh, at, it's Obstropolis, O-B-S-T-R-O-P-O-L-O-S. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll link it to the show yeah, notes. Yeah, it'll probably be, <laughs> it'll, it'll be in the description somewhere. My, my inbox yeah. is always open, so if anyone ever has any questions, I'm always down to chat if I have time. Awesome, awesome. Well, Rocco, thanks for your time. Thanks for the knowledge, and thanks for uh, sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's a wrap for this episode of the Coin Gamma Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please share it out with members of your network, friends, family, associates. And most importantly, please leave a review on your podcast listening platform, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. That really helps the podcast out. It helps us get more exposure and share our content with more people. And don't forget, we're available to help you out with your blockchain-related projects. Just reach out. Coingamma.com. Until next time.